of God. And we've set it apart. And what they're doing, they're teaching that to the child. This is a special day for you. Well, by the time he's four years old, you know, a month ahead of time, he's saying, hey, my birthday is coming. You know, it, it's, it's set apart. So we do this. We set aside days like that and people like that. The country does that. I love July the 4th. I love reading about the revolution, Declaration of Independence, and the, the men that did that. Our country is being done, given a great disservice by the present generation that they don't understand the history. They don't know the history. They hadn't been taught the history. But to those that, of us that have really studied the history, it's, it's amazing. July the 4th is, a, is a, a special day in the United States. It's not in Japan. It's not in China. It's not in Russia. And it shouldn't be. But it's been set aside. The Romans would say, that's sacred. That's sacred. That's holy. That's set apart. All right. That was what God was doing for Israel in Exodus 12. He was creating a sacred time in the yearly calendar. Look at verse 14 of, of Exodus 12. This day shall be, this day shall be for you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. This is for the next century. This is for the next 10 centuries. You keep this day. A statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. God was creating a sacred day, a set-apart day, a holy day in the calendar of Israel. Now, it's one thing. I'm not equating this with what we do. What we do is sacred with a small s when we create birthdays and all this. This is sacred with a capital S. This is holy with a capital H. It's one thing. When we create a day that's sacred from the United States does, our family does, the people, it's quite another thing. When God sets it apart, when God does it. Well, he was saying in Exodus 12 that the Passover was an Old Testament sacrament. It was. Likewise, Jesus was creating a sacrament with the Lord's Supper. Look at the words. Look at verse 19 of Luke 22. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. This is my body, which is given for you. And then he says, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. This is something I command. Jesus commands it. You keep doing this, Peter. You keep doing this, John. Church, you keep doing this. The disciples did just that. They understood. It's very interesting. Look at Acts 2, 41 on your scripture sheet. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves, these 3,000, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That would be to the word of God. And the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. The breaking of bread. You know what that was? 
That's the Lord's Supper. They devoted themselves to that. They met together to worship. They kept what Jesus was saying. They kept coming to the Lord's table. Now, this was happening. It wasn't, this didn't evolve in the church. You know, sometimes we look at characteristics in the church and we think that evolved over a period. This didn't evolve over a period of time. This was just weeks, just a few months after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And here they are coming together frequently to worship, and they come to the Lord's table. They were obeying his command. Wherever they kept the Lord's Supper, that was a sacred time. That was a sacred place. This, was a, this is a sacred act. This is a holy act. It's been set apart from ordinary use. It's not ordinary. It was holy. It was sacred. It was a sacrament ordered by Jesus himself. I'm thrilled this morning, and I mean really thrilled. I've thought about this all week, that Nick Stingle was baptized this morning. You see, baptism is another sacrament ordered by Jesus. Again, this is not something that the church has thought up over the centuries. It did not evolve over a period of time. Jesus told the disciples, go to the world, preach the gospel, and what? Baptize. Baptize. When the disciples burst from Pentecost in Jerusalem, from that day, they started baptizing. Why? Jesus commanded, you baptize. This is a sacred thing. You're setting a person apart. Go back to the verses we read a minute ago. Acts 2, 41, 42. So how do those verses begin? So those who received the word were what? Baptized. It's a sacrament. So in the view of Jesus, let's come back to our question. In the view of Jesus, the Passover in the Old Testament and the Lord's Supper in the New Testament are biblical sacraments. Okay? Secondly, in the Old Testament, Passover, Israel was saved from God's judgment. Look at verses 12 through 13 of Exodus 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you, and I will strike the land of Egypt. God was at war with Pharaoh and with Egypt. He was not capriciously bringing these plagues on Egypt to get his people out. He wasn't saying to the Egyptians, Egypt, I'm really sorry that this is happening to you, but I really do need to get my people out, and this is the best way to do it. That's what, that wasn't what the plagues were about. The nine plagues that had been, the nine plagues that had already taken place were the judgments of a righteous judge as he held Egypt accountable for their sins. There is never, there is never, this is a great illustration of this, there's never been a nation on this earth that's beyond God's judgment and God's oversight and God's sovereignty. 
And he called Egypt into a reckoning. We've seen him do it century after century after century, nation after nation as a nation. And you can be sure in our present condition that he will call this country into a reckoning. He was at war with Egypt. It was a judgment. So what was the last plague that broke Pharaoh and caused him to finally let Israel go? God passed through the land. God said, I'm going to pass through the land and I will kill the firstborn of every family. Every animal, every family, firstborn, will die. And the other plagues that God sent, and those nine first plagues, Israel didn't suffer from those. They lived in Goshen. And as these plagues came upon Egypt, the one place in Egypt they didn't come was Goshen. But in this final plague that God sent, God told Israel that even Israel's families would not be spared unless they put the blood of a lamb on the doorpost of their homes. The blood of the lamb slain put on the doorpost would save the family from the judgment of God. If you've read theological explanations about sacraments, whether it's baptism or the Lord's Supper, you've read that the sacraments are signs and seals. What does that mean? Well, right here, right here in verse 13 of Exodus 12, what's he say? The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. The, door, the, the blood on the door was a sign, a sign of their faith. They had to believe God. You can be sure there were Israelites. He said, this is ridiculous. I'm not, I'm not going to put blood on the doorpost. In the first place, it's probably not going to pass through the land and kill the firstborn. I think it's you know, not going to happen. God doesn't do things like that. There are surely people that did that. So the blood on the door was a sign of their faith. It was a sign of God's promise. When God saw the blood, it was a sign for him and for the people. The blood was also a seal. What's a seal? Kings, government officials, business owners had signet rings. If you... Think about a signet ring. It, ought to, it looks like it ought to be a sign, S-I-G-N-E-T. So it's related to the sign that they had signet rings. And the signet ring would have their monogram or their seal. They, would, they, they were personally identified with that seal, with that monogram, or with that shield. They would put hot wax. They'd use hot wax to seal letters, to seal contracts. And the business owner, the king, the emperor, the government official would take that ring and mash it 
into that hot wax. It bore the seal of that individual or that king or that nation or that government. The blood on the door was a seal that that particular family and that house was under the protection and grace of God. It was a seal of God's protection, a seal of God's promise. So in the Old Testament Passover, we see that it was a sign and a seal fitting the direction, the definition of a sign. In Jesus' eyes, and we're talking about what Jesus thought, in Jesus' eyes, the Passover in the Old Testament, the Lord's Supper in the New Testament, are biblical sacraments. Secondly, in the Old Testament Passover, Israel was saved from God's judgment. In Jesus' eyes, in the New Testament Lord's Supper, we're celebrating being saved from God's judgment. Look at 1 Corinthians 5-7 on your scripture sheet. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now you look at that and you say, how can Jesus be called our Passover lamb? We're not celebrating being saved from God's judgment with the tenth plague of Egypt. No. He's our Passover lamb in that he suffered the judgment of God for us in our stead. When God's eternal judgment, not the judgment of nations, when God's eternal judgment in that final consummation, when it falls on mankind, it will pass over those that are marked with the blood of the Lamb. That's what the book of Revelation has said. It's on every page of the book of Revelation. Jesus inextricably you say, it wasn't an accident. Jesus inextricably joined the Passover to the Lord's Supper in the upper room. He was saying for eternity, they were joined. What did he say to the disciples? The first thing in the upper room, what was the first thing he said to them? I have earnestly, it's a very strong statement. The word desire is repeated twice. He's saying, I have intensely desired to eat this Passover with you. He did not say the Passover. He said this Passover. Jesus had been eating the Passover lamb, celebrating the Passover since he was a child every year. Probably for the last two years, he had been celebrating the Passover with the disciples. He had been eating somewhere the Passover lamb with those disciples. But it was this Passover that had such intense meaning. Why? Right in the middle of the Passover liturgy, and they had a very strong liturgy that, that they went through in their eating, in their drinking, in their prayers, in their singing, in that Passover feast. Well, right in the middle of the Passover liturgy, Jesus changed the ancient rite. They had eaten, just eaten. The disciples had just eaten from the Passover lamb. They had slain. Now Jesus, with that lamb there, they had eaten of that lamb, the sacrificial lamb they had eaten. Jesus took bread. And he said, this is my body. 
given for you. Identified with that lamb. All of you eat of it. And he took a cup of wine. He says, this is my blood. This is my blood poured out for you. That was the first time those words had said. The disciples had never heard that. Jesus purposely introduced the sacrament of the Lord's Supper during the sacrament of the Passover meal. He was drawing a corollary between the two sacraments. Talk about judgment. Those judgments that you read in the last one, that tenth one, you say, well, I don't want to go through that. That's paltry compared to the judgment that's coming What was the title of our message? Jesus, the Lamb God provided for the greater Passover. Do you know why this is a greater Passover? Because it wasn't a lamb. It was the Son of God himself that was slain. Do you know why it was a greater Passover? This Lord's Supper was a greater Passover? Because the judgment that's coming is like a judgment that has never been. As justice is poured out on all of history. I've intensely desired to eat this Passover meal with you. In a way, the Son of God had been waiting centuries to celebrate the Passover with them. He would initiate a new Passover, a greater Passover. Just in, in, in closing, we're almost at the end. Just think through with me very quickly the Old Testament Passover and what was happening. And if you, you, you see the gospel all through it. You can't miss it. Look at verse 5. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. Why must this lamb be without defect? Because he must represent the sinless lamb of God. They didn't know about that. But it mattered to God. You make that lamb. You give a lamb without defect because the lamb that's really coming is going to be perfect. Look at verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Notice it's not a lamb for the individual. It's a lamb for the family. It's a lamb for the, lamb for the household. When I come to this table today, I will pray, Oh, Father, Keep my children and keep my grandchildren inside those blood-stained doors. Verse 7. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. The lamb was slain. His blood put on the door of the homes. What does the blood represent? Represents a crucified Christ, the blood of Christ. What does he say? Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Look at verse 8. 
That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire with bitter herbs. The bitter herbs stand for the slavery of Egypt. And bread made without yeast, they are to eat the lamb that was sacrificed. They are eating a redemption meal. That's what they're doing. It's just like we eat a redemption. They were eating a redemption meal. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper as a, as the Passover meal, at the Passover meal. The meal that Jesus would institute for disciples. This is my broken body slain for you. All of you eat of it. The Passover meal. You have a redemption meal there at the first Passover. And then Jesus as he starts. This is a redemption meal, guys. This is my body broken for you. This wine represents my blood. It's a greater Passover meal. A greater redemption meal. Look at verse 12. On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Think about that. That's what he says to us. That, that judgment, I said, was paltry. When this when the judgment and the consummation comes, let me tell you, that will not touch you. You'll be able to stand in the court of heaven before the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You'll be able to stand before all the angels of glory as this judgment is executed and say, who can bring a charge against me? And it's not because of your good works. It's not because of what you did. It's because of what Christ did. Mm. We see a salvation from a more severe judgment. Verse 11. This is how you're to eat it with your cloak tucked. I love this. Cut tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. They were dressed to travel. They were going to be pilgrims for a few years. And that's how we come to this table. We're just pilgrims. We're headed to a better place. To the land of promise. And then lastly, 40, verse 48, an alien, living, an alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males of his household circumcised, and then he may take part. I love this. Somebody sees and he says, I want, to be a, I, I want to be a part of this. So instead of being baptized, baptism, uh, circumcision was the Old Testament sacrament to enter God's, to enter the fellowship of God's people, to enter the mercy and grace of God. Here's the invitation. You come. We want you to come. Be circumcised. We don't care what race you are. We don't care what nation you are. We don't care what language you're speaking. We don't care about how short you are, how wealthy you are, how poor you are. What an invitation. You come. We see the gospel invitation there. So we see in this, in this supper, this old Passover supper, we see salvation by a sinless Savior, salvation for children's children, salvation through a crucified Christ, salvation from a severe judgment, salvation in a symbolic supper, salvation of prepared pilgrims, salvation proclaimed 
with a great invitation. You know, those people, they could not have imagined the gospel, could they? They didn't see what was coming. Here were all these symbols. There's no way. Peter talks about that in first in his letter. He said, these people wrote, these prophets wrote, these, they wrote, and they wrote about things, and they couldn't understand it. And he said, God, what, what are we writing here? What's happening here? They knew it was looking forward to something. You know what? Think about this. You've got a privilege that they didn't have. You look back and you don't just see the Passover and the reason for the Passover. You see the Lord's Supper. You see Jesus. You see that Passover fulfilled. There's a great judgment coming, people. And as we come to this table, it's a sign and seal, just like the Passover, that that judgment can't touch you because of Christ and his blood. Let's sing and then come to the Lord's table.